Well, hey, uh, Pastor Mark is in Argentina this week, so our, our world-traveling senior pastor is uh, again away and has asked me to fill in again, and so we're going to continue, actually, where we were last week in the book of Ephesians, and uh, if you will turn with me there, we'll continue. Last week, uh, we almost finished the first section of this letter uh, of Paul to the Ephesians, and I, I want to finish out the section that we didn't finish last week. We're going to do that first. Uh, so if you go to verse 7 and 8, verse 7 and 8, in Ephesians chapter 1, in him, meaning in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And we kind of, at the end last week, took an inventory of the blessings that we enjoy through what Christ has done for us that were detailed in these first few verses of chapter 1. Uh, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ, chosen by God before the creation uh, to before creation, be holy and blameless, predestined by God to be his adopted sons and daughters, recipients of his freely given favor, and now redemption and forgiveness of our sins along with grace, not given out in small portions, but lavished on us, an unlimited flow from the heart of God. Amazing. This ver these verse 7 and 8 speaks of a wealth of God's grace, hence the word lavished. F.F. Bruce, the theologian, points us toward Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, in reference to these verses. Because of God's great love for us, uh, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. That's uh, Ephesians 2, 4. And he goes on, the implication is that the beneficiaries of God's mercy enjoy it in overflowing measure. Another word for lavished is multiplied or superabundance. And he points to Romans chapter 5, verse 20 that says, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Again, when you package all of these words together and they all refer to God's favor toward us, you get quite a package, don't you? Lavished from an unlimited flow, wealth of grace the richness of God's mercy, and overflowing, multiplied, superabundance of grace from God to us. Wow. Verse 9 goes on and says that on top of all of that, God has made known to us the mystery of his will, implying that the world, by and large, remains in darkness regarding the will of God. It's a mystery to them but certainly not a mystery to us because God has made it known to us. In verse 11, Paul repeats the fact that we are chosen by God, that somewhere in that mysterious will, which he has now revealed to us, we discover that we are being chosen by God. Our being chosen by God was part of his plan all along. He, he had it in his mind and his heart from the beginning. In verse 13, Paul asserts something else on top of our being chosen by God to be a part of this mysterious plan in order to seal the deal. God has actually placed his Holy Spirit inside each of us, every believer in Jesus Christ, and it becomes kind of like a mark on us, showing that we belong to him. 
It is a mark of God's ownership on me that he deposits the Holy Spirit in me. And so you were marked in him, it says, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And so God gives us, along with his superabundance of grace, a seal, a proof of ownership in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives in us. He works in us. His will in us. He reminds us that we belong to God. And through him, we reflect the image of God to other people. Wow. So we look back at these first few verses in Ephesians, and you begin to see all the things there that are working for us in our favor when it comes to our transformation in Christ. And remember we said the overarching theme of Ephesians is spiritual transformation. But it doesn't mean spiritual transformation in your own strength. The whole theme is centered around God's grace and God's mercy on you so that you can undergo a spiritual transformation and you've got all these things working in your favor so that that thing can take place. That's what's so amazing about it. God says, I'm going to change you, but I'm going to do the changing. I want you to be, make yourself available to me, but I, by my power, am going to change you, believer in Jesus. Blessed with all spiritual blessings, chosen by God before creation to be holy and blameless, predestined to be his adopted sons and daughters, recipients of his freely given favor, redemption, forgiveness of our sins along with grace, not given out in small portions, but lavished on us, an unlimited flow from the heart of God, recipients of his di divine plan, predestined to be a part of this plan before creation, and then marked for ownership by the presence of his Holy Spirit living within us. Paul summed all of it up in Romans chapter 8, and he said this, and this is probably a familiar scripture to you. It's meaningful. If God is for us, who can be against us? And those scriptures in Ephesians should witness to your heart how much God is for you. How much he is for you. Here's a quote from Max Lucado. There are many reasons God saves you to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you are the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he chose your heart. Brennan Manning shares this about God's love for us. Several years ago, Edward, Edward Farrell of Detroit took his two-week vacation to Ireland to celebrate his favorite uncle's 80th birthday. On the morning of the great day, Ed and his uncle got up before dawn and dressed in silence and went for a, law, a walk along the shores of Lake Killarney. Just as the sun rose, his uncle turned and stared straight at the rising orb. Ed stood beside him for 20 minutes with not a single word exchanged. And then this 80-year-old uncle 
began to skip along the shoreline, a radiant smile on his face. After catching up with him, Ed commented, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy. Do you want to tell me why? Yes, lad, the old man said, tears washing down his face. You see, the father is fond of me. Me father is so very fond of me. Remember what I said last week? Remember the, the little scenario I pulled out of the movie, As Good As It Gets? Melvin said to Carol, Carol, you make me want to be a better man. And that's what spiritual transformation is all about. God works his wonders in us. He works the impossible in us through his power and glory so that we become better men and better women. And not only that, we want to become better men and better women. And so let that power, amen. Isn't that, isn't that cool? I mean, because you remember what it was like before Christ came into your life. You didn't even care about being a better man or a better woman. It was just like, well, just live for the day. But hey, he changes the want to, doesn't he? If you belong to Jesus Christ, that's all you need. You need that presence of him inside of you. And if you don't know him yet, I invite you to invite him into your life. And you watch. You watch. You see what happens. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. And I promise Jesus is going to want you, or Jesus is going to change you so that you will want to be a better man, a better woman. We're going to jump ahead now to verse 15 in Ephesians chapter 1. So let's, let's just go back there and take a look at what we got. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So the opening verses of chapter 1, we saw this doxology. Remember, we said it's a, that first section that we just came through is a hymn of praise to God, a doxology from Paul's heart to God. Now Paul praising God on behalf of the Ephesians for all these things, the fact that we are believers who've just been through this, chosen, called, given grace, all of this good stuff, and the Father we find out is very fond of us through all of this. Now these verses tonight, focus, uh, the focus changes from this hymn of thanksgiving to God, to Paul's requests to God on behalf of these Ephesian believers. Notice these phrases in particular. Notice them. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I remember you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you, etc. Paul seemed aware that Ephesians needed to hear from him, and that's why he wrote the letter. And even though things were going relatively well for them at this time, Paul was not so naive as to believe that trouble would never come to them. He knew it would come. He also knew that it was difficult being a believer in Jesus in that culture. He knew there were many dangers that were facing them, both spiritually and culturally. And so he began this section by reminding them of his prayers for them. I have not stopped giving thanks 
for you, remembering you in my prayers. Nonstop prayer for these guys from Paul. You know, I mean, it's difficult to describe the feeling that you get when God uses you to touch someone else's life. I'm sure that's what he was feeling while he was praying these things. During the first months that I was a Christian, in 1970 and 1971, I spoke to so many kids my age and prayed for them. Uh, and, and they were searching for something meaningful, just like I had been searching. And they were into drugs and sex and, and, and partying and, and, and just party, parties and more parties, <laughs> trying to find that, that everlasting high, which never comes. I knew what they were going through. I'd been doing the same thing, you know, before I was a Christian. I noticed that when I shared with them my personal experience of meeting Jesus Christ and then inviting him into my heart and then receiving his forgiveness of my sins, that their eyes would begin to get bigger and filled with hope. Often I would pray with these kids to receive Christ personally, just like I had done just a few months earlier. And often the kids would cry tears of joy for the relief that they felt as they gave their burdens to God. And then they came to know him in a whole new way. And the feeling I got when that would happen was unbelievable. Maybe you've led someone to Christ and you know that feeling. I mean, it just, there's probably no feeling on earth like it to witness the personal deliverance of another human being from sin and darkness into the glorious light of Jesus. It's an amazing feeling to be, to be the one that God uses to lead that person like that. <laughs> I remember praying for them that God would protect them and guide them and help them, make their experience more and more real to them. But most of the time when I was praying for, my kid, for these kids that, that were coming to us, I, re, I just was thanking God for them. What a wonder it was to see them discover that same wonderful Jesus that I had discovered and know that one day, one day, we were going to see each other in heaven, and we will. There's no way to describe that kind of feeling. Paul tried his best in these few words, and he said, you know, guys, I am so full of the joy of Jesus Christ when I think about you that I, I just can't help myself. I just don't ever stop praying for you. You're on my mind all the time. His experience with the Ephesians had been very similar to what I just described. He'd been the one to lead these people to Christ. And he took great joy in seeing and hearing about their progress. And it was natural for him to pray for them. And kind of like a parent praying for a child. Because they were kind of like his kids in the Lord. And so he prayed for them and reminded them. But you know what? Read his letter to the Philippians. And you find the same thing. Look over there. It says... It is right for me, Philippians, to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. To the Colossians, the same thing. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asked God to fill you with the knowledge of, his, knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then the Thessalonians, he communicated this, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy, Thessalonians. Wow. 
It was one of his greatest joys in life to think about and pray for the church. These people had been birthed into the kingdom through his efforts and his ministry. He was remembered, remembering and praying for them in all of these places. And his prayers always contained this urgent request to God that each of them would be transformed by God's power more and more, day by day, into that beautiful image of Christ. And so this first installment in Paul's prayers for the Ephesian Christians contained this heartfelt thanksgiving. Man, do I thank God for you guys. You are awesome. But this thanksgiving also led to requests to God by Paul on behalf of the Ephesians. And this is where we begin to get into the real substance of Paul's message in this overall letter. I keep asking, he said, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So this is second installment of Paul's prayer agenda for Ephesus. Wow, pretty amazing. Notice the language. Notice the language. I keep asking. I pray also. I keep asking. I've already referred to this, but I want to reemphasize it again. Effective prayer usually means not giving up. It means going over the same things again and again and again, sometimes th bringing th things up to God that you've already brought up to him a hundred times. <sighs> Is he deaf? No. Has he no memory? That's not the case. Perhaps there is some person on your prayer agenda who's been on your prayer agenda a long time. Raise your hand if that's the case. Yeah, so you know what it's like to pray for somebody for a long time, don't you? Wow, I've had to do it. And it's always tempting, isn't it, to say to yourself, you know... I've mentioned this person before, God. You, just, you know about him, okay? So let's go on to the next one. And sometimes that's true, but then other times the Holy Spirit won't, won't, won't release you from responsibility for praying for that person. You just got to keep it up for whatever reason. I've covered this base. Let's do something else. Let's move on. Downright boring. It's boring to pray for this person. I already know what's wrong with them. <laughs> Paul says, uh-uh, I keep asking. I keep it up. I have not stopped giving thanks. And this is the language of commitment and stubbornness in prayer. Transforming prayer for somebody is never a sprint, you guys. It's always a marathon. If you want to pray for their transformation, that is, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Intercession done on behalf of someone else or done on your own behalf, it's going to take a while. So just settle into the groove. In your mind, you've got to settle into that long-haul mentality. It's just going to take a while. People don't change overnight. Why is this important to understand? Transformation is just a slow process. Look at your own life. Huh? Yeah, I know. An honest assessment of my life, I have to tell you, I have not changed very fast over my Christian experience. It takes God again, bang, 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 hit him on the head again, bang, 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 you know, to teach me one lesson. <laughs> it takes forever. Well, that's why we got to pray a lot for people. 
Maybe last year you prayed to God for a particular thing that need, you needed. Uh, maybe you needed a change in your heart life. You prayed once and then you just left it there. But then this year you're noticing that thing is still not quite where it's supposed to be. It hasn't changed inside of you yet. Maybe you needed a, to break a bad habit. But this year, that bad habit is still not broken. It is lingering in your behavior. And from time to time, you wonder why God has not yet answered your prayer from last year. Well, you may need to keep asking in order for that thing to change and for you to see real results. Maybe a husband or a child or a friend that you prayed for one time last year is still going through the same stuff this year. You find yourself growing tired of seeing them grow through the same old problems over and over again, and you wonder if they will ever change. I did pray for them. Why is nothing happening? Well, you may need to keep asking. And if you're going to see real change come about, that's probably the case. We got to be prepared to keep asking for many years in some situations. I know one guy that prayed for his dad for 49 years. 49 years, and then finally on the 49th year, the dad came to Christ and then died. You know, I mean, it just happens like that. Paul's first request for the Ephesians was that God might give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Paul knew that true transformation happens only when a person meets God in a personal way. So he was wise when he prayed for them. I want you to be transformed. And so my prayers, first of all, prayer, first of all, is that you will come to know the God that I know and that he will give you eyes to see and understand who he is and how wonderful he is. And this referred more to their intellectual enlightenment, the intellectual enlightenment than anything else. But he didn't stop there. In the next sentence, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart, not just your intellect, but your heart may be enlightened. And what was he referring to here? Well, normally when Paul spoke of a person's heart, he was referring to the spirit, the spirit part of us. He referred to our spirit, the eyes of our heart, showing that true spiritual understanding requires enlightenment of both the mind and the spirit. Another meaning for enlightened is made able to see. So when a person's mind and spirit are so enlightened, that person is enabled to see God, and then a true spiritual transformation in that person can begin to take place. Please notice this as well. Paul prays for their eyes to be enlightened. Why? That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And the words and the order of his words are really important here. Paul prayed that we might know, among other things, the riches of his, meaning God's, glorious inheritance in the saints who would be us. That phrase can be confusing and abstract unless you read it plainly, which is always the best way to read the Bible, by the way. The plain meaning of scripture is usually what it means. Don't try to dig deeper for something that isn't there. <laughs> it's usually not there. Just read it plainly, and it says plainly, that God considers you and me his glorious inheritance. And not only that, his rich and glorious inheritance. 
I have heard many sermons, guys, on the riches and glory that are awaiting us in heaven, in our inheritance. I have heard very few sermons preached on the fact that we saints are equally treasured by God. F.F. Bruce writes that God should set such, such high value on a community of sinners rescued from perdition and still bearing too many traces of their former state might well seem incredible were it not made clear that he sees them in Christ. Paul prays here that his readers may appreciate the value which God places on them. Did you ever think of yourself as God's inheritance? You should. You are rich to him. You are valuable to him. He has paid everything so that he can have you. That's why you're valuable. And you are an amazing, rich, incredible treasure to the God of the universe. We ended the first message in this series with that illustration of Edward Farrell, remember? Along the shores of Lake Killarney and his 80-year-old Uncle Seamus. And he's explaining to Farrell the source of his joy as they're staring at the sun coming up. And he's got tears in her eyes and his eyes and he's saying, you know, the Father is so fond of me. And Paul says to us, do you see how valuable you are to God? That he treasures you as his precious inheritance? So this second installment in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that they will see in their heart what they truly mean to God and how valuable each one is to God. And the implication of this statement is that once you begin seeing the great value you are to God, that knowledge, that revelation is actually going to start to transform you on the inside. That inner knowledge is going to change you. The third installment in this prayer for the Ephesians was this, that you may know his incomparably great power. Like the working of his mighty strength, I'm sorry, he follows with an immediate description of that power, like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Bruce points out that four important words are used in these verses, power, operation, or working in the NIV, if you have an NIV Bible, strength and might, or mighty, used to describe the strength. And so he goes on to say, if the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of God's love, the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. So Paul's prayer for us included his request to God that we might know the riches of God's grace, yes, that we might know the hope to which we have been called. And here we discover also his request that we might know in a personal, transforming way his incomparably great power for us who believe. Oh man, I hope that at some point in your life you have a chance to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ that God used to raise him from the dead. And we think, oh, well, that was for Jesus. That was fine. Not for me. That's not true. You can know that power. You can experience it. My wife and I were in the mission field. And I, I've got one story after another story after another story while we were in the third world. You don't see it a lot over here. <laughs> we're so materialistic over here. Stuff that had happened with us, through us, in the third world that 
to this day, I, I still have a hard time believing healings that took place, miracles, the manifestation of God's power right in front of our eyes that just, you, you witness that kind of thing just one time and you are never the same. And you realize, wow, this isn't just a club I joined up on Sunday morning. This isn't a fable. This isn't some God that I'm reading about in a book, but I don't know if he's... This is like really the real deal here. His incomparable power. I hope that you will have an opportunity to experience that at some point in your life. Here's how these prayer requests look so far. If you were to put them down in a, a list, just like we did before with the blessings... First of all, that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know him better, that God would open our or enlighten the eyes of our understanding, and that in doing so, we might know the hope to which he has called us, that we might know what great value we have to him, that we are his inheritance, and finally, that we might know his incomparably great power. So you have, if you want to narrow it down to four words, Paul prays that you will have wisdom. He prays that you will have revelation. He prays that you will be enlightened in your heart and your mind. And finally, that you will have knowledge of what? Of his power. We're talking about spiritual transformation. Going back to the, the focus of this book. Spiritual transformation. All of this centers on that for its purpose. You have come to know Jesus by faith but you still find that your spiritual life is lacking, it could be that God's trying to work, work out further spiritual transformation in you. And for some reason, maybe the work isn't getting done. It could be that you've not realized uh, further spiritual growth was even needed in your life. Maybe you felt like, hey, look, I crossed the line, came down to the altar, prayed that prayer with Pastor Mark on Sunday morning. That's all I need. Maybe that's it. Maybe you just didn't know that, hey, no, God's not done with you. He just started. It could be that you assumed that it was happening all along, and maybe it wasn't because nothing, nothing good is going on. There's no transformation happening in your life. I've seen that go on in people's lives. It could be that you tried spiritual transformation, and you met with defeat. Could be that you do understand how to get there and you understand today that you're in a process. In that case, you don't need to be nervous. It's going to be fine. Whatever the situation, these prayer points in verses 15 through 23 are very important to understand if you want to be transformed by Christ. Prayer is the key. In order to make spiritual transformation as simple to understand as possible, Let's narrow down what we've just read to just one thing. It's much easier to take this away than several things that Pastor Joe said tonight. And the one thing would be prayer. Prayer, the one thing. Paul's approach to the spiritual growth of the Ephesian church was to pray that it would happen. It's not a how-to letter as much as it is a prayer journal. Let me say that again. Ephesians is not a how-to letter as much as it is a prayer journal. Paul was a very wise man. He walked in the power of God. He was greatly used by God. 
not only to start churches, but to shepherd them as well. And what was the key to his success and his influence with these people? What was the key? Simple. Prayed for him. He prayed for them. I'm not de-emphasizing the preaching and the teaching that Paul did in Ephesus. I mean, he did spend two years in Ephesus helping them to get off the ground. But to be really honest, two years is not a very long time to be in a church and get things going. But two years, that's all he had. And there was probably still a lot of work to do. What was he going to do? He left the city. How is that work going to go on? How is it going to continue? How? How? Well, Paul says he prayed. (laughs) He said that he just kept asking God on their behalf, and he never stopped giving thanks for them, and it just kept going. We began by studying verses 3 through 14 in this chapter, and verse 3 reads this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I mentioned it was interesting that we would begin a study on spiritual transformation this way, talking about what God has done for us through Christ instead of talking about what we should be doing for Him. But that is exactly how it goes with our relationship to God. There can be no spiritual transformation in a person until God does something in that person first. In other words, my transformation begins not with a decision on my part to become a better person, but with God's decision to call me to himself and then begin his work of blessing and transforming on my insides, inside of me. Amen. And that spiritual work that God does in me can only be taken, taken place by my invitation to him. In other words, I open up my heart and I say to God, come on in and start doing your thing. And that spiritual work that God does in me will begin. But he won't tres- trespass against my will. And so I have to open up. When I feel God calling me, when I feel the tug on my heart, he will get that close, but no closer until I open it up. And then when I open up, look out. Good stuff. Good stuff. Give him permission. And when you give God that permission, he begins to work. And it all happens in the context of prayer. Prayer is the action of talking to God. That's all it is. Having a conversation. We've also seen that every time I thought about eternal things, sin, death, God, his existence, whether, whatever it was, those thoughts always come from him. Whether it's a belief, a prayer, an action, it comes from the heavenly realms. And God thought of it first. Ha ha. None of this stuff is yours. It's not my idea. We were not clever enough to think up salvation. That was God's deal. No request I have, speaking of prayer, about anything Whether it's a Christmas gift or a drink of water comes without my first being prompted somewhere to ask for it. I am prompted and then I ask. And that same thing is true of spiritual things and spiritual transformation. When we are prompted, when we are bothered, when the Holy Spirit is at work in us and he's saying, "Uh, what about this particular part of your life? Wouldn't you like to see that changed? Wouldn't you like to be healthier in that spot? That is the Spirit of God prompting us, and therefore that brings forth prayer. We talk to God about it. We open up, and then the spiritual transformation begins 
to take place. Paul was prompted to ask for three things, and I'm going to finish on behalf of the Ephesians, that they might know the wonderful hope in being called as a Christian, that they might know their value before God, and finally, that they might be enlightened regarding the greatness of God's power. And as we finish tonight, take a second look at what incomparably great power that, uh, that he has accomplished already in us. He exerted it when, he, when Jesus was raised from the dead. It was exerted through the person of Christ when God not only raised Jesus from the dead, but set him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This royal enthronement of Christ placed Christ in the highest place of authority in heaven, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that be, can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Wow, that's pretty high. This royal enthronement, having raised Jesus Christ this far, also meant that everything else was placed under him, including the church, of which he is the head, but Christ's headship over the church does not diminish the church. Instead, his headship over us means that we become the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. I believe that when we are enlightened this way, when we begin to understand the extent of God's power and the fact that we, the church, are a manifestation of that power, that's what begins that real transformation in us. The last thought I want to leave you with tonight is, is what I've been saying all along. The power for you to change is predicated upon your relationship with God. Period. If you want to change, God wants you to change. God will help you change. He will give you the experience the, the, uh, the power and the grace to do so. All he requires is that you open up your heart to him and emit some sort of a request so that he can begin the process. Maybe that would be a good idea for us tonight. Uh, I'm going to open it up for a little question and answer, but I'd like to pray with you before we close. Could we do that first? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for what you have been revealing to us tonight. These are high and lofty words in this first chapter of Ephesians. They are amazing words. Actually, Father, to be honest with you, they're almost too much for us to take in intellectually. But we, we are amazed at what you have given us and made available to us. Wow. And so, Lord, we, we stand humbled before you tonight, seeing your great power and your great favor toward us and ask father would you please come holy spirit and reveal these things to our hearts help us to open our hearts and continue this transformation process in us we open up to you we ask you to come lord jesus and do that work in us by your power and by your grace in your name we pray amen